Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. They have 73 outlets here, all were operational during the pandemic. 70 more outlets overseas. You've probably had some Yakun Kaya toast and a cup of coffee, maybe even this morning. Meet the man who calls Yakun his grandfather, Loy Akun, I should say. Generations of Singapore have had breakfast at Yakun Kaya. Jesher Loy is a member of the third generation of family-owned Yakun Kaya Tos. He's 35, graduated with a bachelor's in music and says music is still a big part of his life. In fact, it helps with the business. Intriguing. We are working with The Peak magazine to hear voices of a new generation of business leaders and Jesha Loy is featured in The Peak's Next Gen Leaders series. He joins us now to share personal stories of the Yakun Kaya Tos empire where he is Director of Branding and Marketing Development. Jesha, good morning. How are you doing? Good, thank you. What an intro. Thank you so much for that. You are welcome. <laughs> Have you had your cup of coffee? No, actually, not yet. So <laughs> I, I've been too eager waiting for the interview. So <laughs> no coffee yet, yeah. <laughs> uh, listen, you, you're in family pictures next to your grandfather a lot because they like to pair the youngest and <laughs> the oldest. You're the youngest grandson, right? Yeah, so actually my, my father is the youngest of seven. And I'm the youngest of, I think, about 14 or 15 of my, my generation. So that makes me really the youngest and always the baby in the family in, in, in that sense. All right. So tell us a little bit about the man who started Yakun. He was from Hainan. It's now a, such an icon, but it could have just remained a stall in a coffee shop. When you think back of the stories of how your grandfather started Yakun in the 1940s here in Singapore, what mm-hmm. stands out for you? Is there a story that stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really a story about grit and self sustenance. I think he came he came alone. He uh, he came alone um, in 1926 um, with no intention of starting a coffee business. Really, it's just for survival. Um, the Hainanese uh, he came from Hainan Island, and so the Hainanese were some of the last few to actually leave China. Um, but when he got here, he he found whatever work he could, and eventually kind of led him to a coffee business with several partners. And then as, as things turned out, his partners actually left the business, so he took it over himself. Self-taught, um, self-figured out, self-entrepreneur, if, if you could call it that. And this was all the way into the 40s and uh, 50s. And then um, um, still still very much one stall. The focus really was upon feeding the family, ensuring that the family would uh, survive. He actually, um, I was going to say fly, but actually he, he bought a boat ticket for um, his wife, which is my grandmother, and their oldest daughter to come mm. over as well. So that was the kind of the impetus to work hard, save hard, and bring them over. And so um, very much still one shop. It's really my father who uh, then grew the business, kind of grew the, the franchise, grew the, the expansion, both local and overseas, professionalized it, tightened some of the structure, and built, built a company, built, built the international company. So that's where the, the, the major turn happened. And when my father took over, it was only two shops. And now it's, you can say, 100, 100 over in a span of like 20, 15 to 20 years. Yeah. Tremendous, tremendous. Mm-hmm. I'm sure many hands in the family helped build the business. For example, Absolutely. whose recipe is the kaya? <laughs> so actually, yeah. So my grandmother, I mean, back then it was, it's all um, self-taught, which is amazing. I, I think it, that's so wonderful. But yeah. my, my grandmother self-taught, uh, learned how to make um, kaya and um, 
kept kept improving on it. Um, back then, obviously, she only had to make a small amount, just enough to sustain the shop. But over the years, then uh, my aunt, which is one of my my uncle's wives, actually picked up the recipe, perfected it, and then passed it on to her two daughters, who are still working in the factory right now. So it's really kind of cool if you go to any shop around the world. So uh, I mean, I beg your pardon, any any household or. You pick up a yakun jar anywhere around the world, you know that it's from the same factory that's in Singapore. So that's kind of a fun fact. Um, the, the recipe is still secret. Uh, we still do it as family members. So wow. that's something that uh, we, we hold close to our heart. Yeah. Wow. Now take us to when you become part of yakun, the business. You've eaten uh-huh. at this place for free for most of your life. Did you feel it was <laughs> inevitable that you would one day work in the business? Did you want to be part of it? Um, it, it was never inevitable. I don't think. I don't think anything was inevitable. Um, but I definitely grew up there. I think uh, my my earliest memory would actually date back to when I was like four to six, some somewhere around there, when La Pasa was still standing, um, and not the current one, the old one. Uh-huh. So it's actually where your current like DBS and MBFC, the Promenade. That's that's where it is. So it's right by the right by the Singapore River. Um, there was no there was, parking. Was still just a flat-out gravel area, and then it was really a massive hawker store. And I would go there with my dad, and then my uncle would be working, and he would just serve me, like, you know, kayak crackers and a, a hot milo. So that was my fondest memory. But then ever since then, and then I obviously was very dedicated to school and everything, but my, ever since my dad and my, my mom, my parents took over the kind of professionalizing of it, that's when the conversations had to come to the dinner table. Mm. So um, I uh, inadvertently, I would be listening in, you know, talking about you know, renovation and who to bring on and, and franchising and franchisees and things like that. So I kind of got a good hang of it. But in a way, I'm also the only child. Um, uh, so there was always that kind of uh, uh, understanding that there was a chance that I would, I would be involved. And not to mention, I, I felt like at a certain point when I was um, in my 20s, there was already so much built and it, it just takes it, it needs somebody to continue to build it like uh, to, to build on it and uh, to to build on my grandfather's work and then my, my father's work would be something that would take a lot of responsibility a lot of understanding and a, a certain amount of um, desire and, and enthusiasm so at a certain point I kind of sat down with my parents and I said yeah I, I mean I want to do that I also would like to do some music as well on the side so if we could work out something where we dovetail both um, that would be wonderful yeah. So that's what I am. Yeah. Law is Director of Branding and Marketing Development at Yakun Kaya Toast, the third member of the family of this iconic Singapore brand. Now, people think if you're born into such an iconic family business, you must have a silver spoon firmly placed in your mouth at an early age. But why did your dad want you to start working in the business as his personal assistant? <laughs> and how did you feel about learning the ropes from that position? Right. Um, I, I'm very privileged. I must say that uh, the business really only grew when I was really, you know, way into my late teens or even uh, uh, yeah, pretty pretty mid-teens or late teens. So growing up, we, we had a very average, I mean, I had a very normal and average childhood. My, my dad worked in sales. Uh, so, you know, he was a nine to five and then he would bring, us, bring me out on the weekend. So it was kind of a very normal thing. It was only when I hit my mid-teens when, um, and even then as an entrepreneur, uh, early days, I still remember going to like, um, the shop in my school uniform, you know, after school so that we can have dinner with my parents and I can go home. So um, the early days was still kind of rough and tough, but I, I thankfully I was old enough to kind of be self, self-sufficient. Mm. Um, but then when I started joining the business, I figured that uh, um, there, was, there, there was no way that you could just go in and walk right in. That, that's, just, that's just not right. 
So we kind of decided that I would start uh, at some point and start some some level. And actually, prior to that, I actually worked in the shop first. Oh. So it's it's kind of an internal um, fun little policy that uh, everybody, even executives, as as all the way to managers, should at least try their hand in the shop. If not, you can't you can't sit in the office and make decisions. Right. When the the crew and and the guys are working hard on the ground, opening at six thirty and then closing at ten thirty or nine thirty, yeah. um, and then you're making marketing decisions or business decisions with a, with no inkling of what's happening on the ground. So actually, we try to put everybody through that. So I did my two weeks thing. Uh, I don't think people will trust my brewing of coffee, but at least I know how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was uh, that was that. And then once I joined the office, uh, my dad said put me as his PA, at least at, that way I can still go with him, I can hang out with him, I can uh, network uh-huh. uh, okay. and, still, and, still, and still do a full day's work of uh, contributing to the, to the business. So it sounds like you enjoyed rolling your sleeves up and, uh, and really working <laughs> on, the, on the ground as well. So now you are now Director of Branding and Marketing, but your graduate degree is in music. And you tell me music is still a big part of your life. And I thought it was really interesting that you mentioned the link between building a brand and music. How do the two sort of interplay? Uh, right, yeah. So, I mean, it, it, is, um, it comes through just an uh, intimate knowledge of both. Um, music is music is still ebb and flow, so um, it's it's still really down to timing. Um, a lot of music, it's really down to um, reading the audience, reading, understanding the emotions of the audience, uh, whoever it may be. So if it's kids, you got to understand their 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 attention span. If it's adults, you got to understand their mood. And sometimes um, the moods can can sway even within the concert. So it's a lot about reading the audience. And I, th- I think sometimes when we do marketing, we also have to read our audience mm. and read um, um, the nuances. E- even in a poster, in a message, every word can mean a different thing. So um, from excitement to happiness to joy, everything has a different element to the word. So, so I think my, 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 my um, experience and my passion in music has kind of informed the way I also um, kind of shape the, the, the business and the brand. And then definitely the, the, the brand has also informed the way I look at music because um, I definitely look at music from an industrial standpoint or economic standpoint sometimes. And it's kind of fun um, to kind of keep the, 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 the industry going, but then also to, uh, to then understand uh, how, how music works. Um, from from a business standpoint, so that's something I do enjoy as well. So it cuts both ways, I suppose. When you think of Yakun the brand, what do you work on, hopefully evoking when people hear the brand name Yakun? Right, uh, we hope that it, it's it's synonymous. Uh, it, it, it it happens back to their childhood. It happens back to their, something that's traditional. Uh, we we intentionally try to keep the the shop, the feel, the atmosphere, the style um, very traditional, very, very steeped in heritage. Um, but then, that being said too, we also try to just stay abreast with time. So um, when we have like our app, um, the, the Yakun Cherish app, you know, it's something to stay relevant. Uh, obviously, we are on social media and things like that. But we want, we want people to resonate with the brand in, in, in its um, consistency, in its uh, pride, in, in being very Singaporean and in, almost in a similar trajectory to Singaporean. So clean, um, um, uh, proud of what we are doing, um, and and consistent, yeah. So speaking of consistent, Yakun could have been one of many coffee shops serving toast or tea or coffee. There are many coffee stalls that do that and do it consistently well. What do you think is the reason for Yakun's success? You have 400 people on your payroll. You're in uh, countries around the world, 70 outlets overseas. What do you think is one of the main reasons for its success? 
Yeah, um, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's really thought-provoking because um, it, we, it could have gone anyway um, at that point. Um, I think we were very blessed. We were very blessed to have, um, have a right opportunity and time to expand and then to grow and then from there to actually grow the team. So a lot of it comes down to the operation team. We, operation team and operation culture. So uh, our operation team, some of the members of the team have been with us for 15 over years and they, 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 they probably can brew blindfolded with one hand behind their back. Um, that's just a level of uh, intimate understanding and, and watching the company grow and watching them grow as well. I, I know stories of some of them joining us early 20s, second job, first job, and then have been stay, staying on throughout. So it's, it's that team and that culture and that pride that they take in and then from there they translate it down to the staff um, we hope to inculcate that, that level of understanding and, and, and passion as well. Of course, some staff come and they go and for various different reasons. But uh, we, we do hope that the brand stands for something. And, and when people join us, they, they know what the brand stands for. And they are adopting that kind of uh, ethos and um, purpose as well. How does the brand travel? I know you were personally involved in the launch of Yakun in China, Dubai, Myanmar, South Korea. And next up, you have Japan. On your mm-hmm. in your sites, second store, do you have to tweak anything uh, to make what seems to be quintessentially Singaporean hard-boiled eggs and and tea or coffee, um, you know, acceptable in overseas markets? Yeah, so that's that's really fun. I mean, there is there is no textbook for that. I mm. think Myanmar's taste buds to obviously Japan or even South Korea is very different. But I do have to say one thing though: uh, we are quite blessed that uh, coffee is. It's a global thing. So we are not climbing any, any uphill battles here. Uh, everyone loves coffee. And, and to my knowledge, uh, uh, many actually enjoy our kind of coffee, the, the robusta kind, mm. the thicker, stronger, less milk taste. And in fact, Westerners actually, from, from personal experience, I know Westerners actually like it a lot because it's strong. You, you just have one and you will stay with you the whole day rather than having two or three sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's not a lot of tweaking that we want to do. I think the whole idea is to kind of um, provide an alternative, provide something that's true to Singapore. And I mean, obviously, with so much travel, mm. um, people are very, they have come to a level of expectation of what they want from Yakun. But and the Japanese the like their eggs a certain way. I mean, not yeah. everybody likes jammy eggs. I love j- them jammy. Yeah. <laughs> they do, but the funny thing is they don't know how to put the soy sauce in the pepper, though. I don't think they add stuff to their eggs. Ah. So they are very curious about that when they, when, they, when, they, when they see us do that or they see videos. That is something that's strange. So sometimes we do teach, sometimes we do uh, demonstrate. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, we, we actually opened our, one of the latest international stores actually in Japan, Shinjuku. Um, and that was because uh, it was actually time for the Olympics, but obviously as we know the Olympics got delayed. Mm. Uh, but we couldn't delay the opening any longer, so we just opened about a month after the delay. And um, I'm proud to say that it's been doing pretty well. Uh, we actually get a steady stream of customers, both uh, locals and uh, internationals, uh, to um, um, Singaporeans living in Japan. And uh, every, every once in a while, I get a random picture about like them being in the outlet. And it's cool. So it's really nice to see that uh, um, that is being served in Japan as well. Fantastic. Now, speaking of mm. um, taking Yakun to different places and maybe even into the future, as, as the person who directs the brand, I understand you have a very low-tech way of connecting with your customers that has <laughs> stayed the test of time. Tell us about that. Okay, yeah. So... so um, this is this this is a, a kind of a parallel story, but when when we first started our flagship store in Far East Square, so um, this was in the early nineties. Uh, no, I wouldn't say early, maybe mid to late nineties. Um, we had a pinup board and a posted uh, a stack of posters at the side, and customers would leave their 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 thoughts, their their notes, or where they are from, especially. So we get you know 
um, notes from Israel, from Netherlands, from, from UK, and they'll pin it on the board. And um, every night, because this is, you know, back before your Facebook days and everything was so just very hands-on, my mom would actually go down there and take, take the notes and go home and reply them, actually, and then put them back on the board. So after a while, those who are working around there would actually realize that, hey, I'm getting a reply. And so it'd be kind of a little um, informal and a very uh, uh, traditional way of a chatbot, right? So that was that. And then now you fast forward to today, I still very personally read, I still personally read more, all of the feedback, complaints, um, compliments, because I think it's just, it's just part of the, the family feel and the ownership feel that you want to know what's happening. You want to know which, which team is functioning well, which mm. team is having an issue. Is it the eggs? Why, why do they not like this? Or what's matter? So I, I, I take a lot of interest in reading every single complaint. Now, now I, we do have a feedback team. We do have a customer service team. But I still just read out of interest, maybe, or out of personal concern. Mm. Um, and I do see that parallel between my mom starting out and then me now kind of in the middle of my career doing that as well. But there's definitely an element of personal involvement, I would suppose. Amazing. Great speaking with you, Jesher. He's Jesher Loy, Director of Branding and Marketing Development at the family-run Yakun Kaya Tos, where he is a member of the third generation of the family-founded Yakun. Jesher is featured in the Peak Magazine's Next Gen Leaders Series. I'm Michelle Martin. This is Influence. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.